Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. As Kieran Frawley lined up a penalty in the dying moments of Leinster's revenge mission in La Rochelle yesterday with Leinster four points up and the rain bucketing down, the commentator on TNT Sports wasn't even countenancing the idea that Frawley might be able to kick the thing over yeah. the bar. It was, it was bizarre. Was Alistair Aiken, yeah, assumed the reason the out-half was electing to shoot for goal was simply to wind the clock down and pin the home team deep in their own territory where the kick inevitably fell short, but he hadn't reckoned on Frawley's monster right boot. The ball sailed over, the lead stretched to seven, Leinster finally had a victory over La Rochelle to celebrate. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Hey, Owen. Hey, how's, how's it going? Hey, Ken. Owen, oh, how are you? I'm good, Ken. How are you? Very well. <laughs> Excellent. Good to hear. This, is, Ke- this is Ken in post-football, uh, Monday football podcast recording yeah. mode, so don't expect much. <laughs> we're not, glad not that even a hello. <laughs> Simon, uh, you were immediately on WhatsApp sending me clips of great... This is what Simon does. So just first of all, happens. never yeah. underestimate a scary man. Oh, he's like the scariest man for all of you, yeah. Probably, of course. Did not know that. They all boot the ball a mile. Like, you have to get to cut through the wind, Murph. Yeah, well, it's, well you, it's at, you're, it's at uh, altitude. They see a 60-metre kick and they're like, no problem. I can kick it from here to Loch Shinny if you, if you like. No yeah. problems. <laughs> Used to be a challenge just getting it to the touchline if you're yeah. into the wind. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if Simon it's a nor'easter in particular. Well, Simon was coming busy sending all clips there. of yeah. great long-range the actual wa- The waves used to actually make it over the wall into the pitch sometimes. Did it? Yeah. You didn't get swept to sea by it, did you? <laughs> five, foot, five foot two, Simon. 16, 16 years of age. Anytime something like this happens. Don't play that man on the wing. <laughs> anytime something like this happens, somebody, Simon always gets a Paul Thorburn mentioning. Thorburn then. Woof. What a belt he's given him. Gave it a monster mm. smack. Thorburn was actually a couple of meters inside his own ten meters. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And on an angle, more and of an angle than for all. Yeah, but no rain. No. Um, You'd know, Murph. The rain would make a big difference there, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, the rain makes a bit. You of wouldn't a know difference. a rugby ball as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a totally different flight, really, isn't it? Bill McLaren did woof there, didn't he? He woofed. Woof. I mean, it sounded like a woof. It took a lot to make Bill McLaren woof. <laughs> it did. I've only heard the one. I've only heard the one on. So he did carry that sport. 
yeah. on his own shoulders. For yeah, no, anytime you look back at those, that was like the highlight amazing. of that whole Six Nations. Yeah, yeah, a long yeah, penalty. yeah. Probably a 3 0 win for <laughs> Wales on the day. The 42's Murray Kinsler is on with Shane Horgan today. Football Pod is out now, available to everyone, but you'll have to be a World Service member to hear our Champions League coverage during the week and our highly entertaining chat with Liam Brady at Liberty Hall last Friday night. Secondcaptains.com, five euro a month plus VAT. Just before we crack into the rugby, Murph, there was some. GA hilarity in the Munster football final the weekend. Talk about wind. Uh, <laughs> Anyone who turned on TG Carr yesterday at uh, half one or two o'clock to watch the Munster football final between Dingle and Castlehaven, uh, was tre- they were treated to just the most spectacular weather conditions you've ever seen. I mean, the football was nearly, it was nearly like a postscript. It was like, I I thought at any juncture it was possible for the camera position itself to be swept up in the gale and for you to just see like before the the, the camera was unplugged the just the transmission from inside a tornado like uh, Twister of course the yeah. great um, no, well, fine movie yeah. one of, of the only films I ever walked out of the cinema you walked out of Twister I couldn't watch it anymore it's, it's too bad but Helen Hunt. Do you just not like movies, Ken? I'm starting to come to the conclusion. I do like movies, but that was... Stick a, it on a boat, Ken, I'll watch it. <laughs> that was particularly bad. That movie. Well, I mean... I agree with Ken, by the way. I don't know. I don't, I sometimes be, I don't I, know why you... I'm going to go see Napoleon now, because your judgment's <laughs> obviously terribly, horribly skewed. But, uh, yeah, the weather conditions were atrocious. I mean, people kind of say, ah, oh, listen, it's not fair, you know, to be playing these games this time of the year. I'm like... No, it's it's actually fine. The enti- entire idea of the All-Ireland Club Championship is that all of the other clubs in Ireland have been eliminated in better weather conditions. So if, if you have to put up with this shit in December, it's like the clubs would still rather be there than not. So, I mean, I'm, I I have limited uh, amounts of sympathy. Anyway, also, we need time. it. Us, the viewer, need it. Yes, yeah, we do year. need it. It's, Simon, you're absolutely bloody right. Um, so it went to penalties anyway. And it was one of those situations where, similar to Frawley and Thorburn, they had to take into account the weather conditions, mm-hmm. even from 11 metres out. <laughs> and so, so many of the penalties were just like, I'm just going to hit this hard. It's the shootout, the wind saying, is, yeah. yeah, the wind is coming behind me so fast yeah. that if I get this thing moving at all, it's actually unstoppable. <laughs> so the goalkeeper for Castlehaven, um, uh, Damien Cahillan, uh, he hit a penalty he hit the first penalty of the entire penalty shootout the goalkeeper did and this thing was travelling at like the most ridiculous I mean it was I think it was I can't, I'm not going to say it was right at the keeper but I mean it was like in under the crossbar the keeper didn't move and it was straight down the middle but I'm still not blaming the Dingle goalkeeper for a second because this thing was travelling at 200 miles per hour right uh, went to finish three all Catalan then takes the first one of the sudden death Dingle miss uh, Catalan runs off in celebration but his celebration literally lasts four metres before he collapses with crab <laughs> in the most heli- I mean Sean Dyche would have loved this gold celebration it doesn't get any more authentic than reeling off in celebration and then having a double cramp hit you in the hamstring oh no the double cramp yeah so and again like the weather conditions were so mad it looked like I don't know the, the the pitch invasion happened anyway, and it was, but it, the rain was coming down in absolute sheets. What it kind of reminded me of was, like, kind of a, like an on land version of someone getting rescued from a lifeboat in the middle of a storm. That's what it. It was basically like a big circle of people looking completely drowned, uh, but jubilant. You know, they've gone through something horrible, but they're still looking extremely jubilant. So it was, um, it was a lot of fun, though, and it was a lot of fun. 
watching it from like the safety of my couch and dryness. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I know Owen's birthday. 20th of April? No, it's, uh, that's Hitler and oh, Shay Given gotcha. and Steve Finnan. And my mum. McDevitt is the 12th of April, which is easy <sighs> to remember because of it's the... Um, Dave Letterman. The Titanic. <laughs> 68 years after it disappeared beneath the icy waves, yeah. Owen McDevitt was born. <laughs> <laughs> Circle of life, mate. Isn't it? Is there anyone alive out there? Tuesday, 4th of February. We're nicely into February now. Let me just have a look at some of the uh, birthdays today. Uh, comedian Dara O'Brien, uh, TV presenter as well, isn't he? He hosted, um, have I got news here, some of those uh, programs. 48 uh, years old today. Um, ex-boxer, I have to admit I'm not really sure about this man. Oscar De La Hoya. I don't know, I can't remember him off the top of my head. Anyway, he is 47 today. Um, Sports journalist and writer and radio personality Ken Early is uh, 41 today. Irish actor Patrick Bergen is uh, 69 today. Now, Patrick Bergen... It was a Champions Cup opening weekend that, from an Irish point of view, was crying out for a big moment and Kieran Frawley delivered it with the monster kick to put the cap on victory in La Rochelle. Shane Horgan and Murray Kinsler on today. Hey, fellas. Hey, lads. Hey, man. Shane, did you think that he that he was going to get that kick or like the TNT commentator and like Simon here, did you just assume he was winding down the clock? No, I was screaming at the uh, the commentator. I said, he's got this in his range. He's an uh, He's got a boot like an absolute mule. And um, I was in a WhatsApp group, you know, watching the game. And um, you might remember, like that was a massive kick, but the kick only moments before where he was on his own goal line, and he cleared it under pressure and he actually cleared it. His style is, 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 is quite lazy as he kicks through and maybe that's why he gets such distance. But he cleared that to almost the halfway line. And I had, you know, I, I just wrote in the, uh, yeah, I wrote in the group, you know, what a massive kick. And then like two minutes later, I just went by two. Like the other one was huge as well. So um, I thought he had it in his range. I thought it was, you know, a genuine attempt, not just, obviously it was a dual purpose um, to run the clock down. But uh, he caught it so well and, and it was a monster. And it didn't just barely go over, like. He had a, he had a few more yards in him as well, which is which is bizarre. But yeah, his his display, while you know not perfect, 
I think um, was was extremely encouraging, and and his his ability to you know to kick the ball distances is huge. But um, I think more importantly, if you look at Leinster's, I think key failing, and there haven't been many over the last four years. They could have won so much more, but one of their key issues is maybe a little too dogmatic when it comes to keeping the ball in hand and the variation of the kicking game and playing without the ball hasn't been there and I would be encouraged um, that you know Frawley together with the new coaching ticket uh, might identify that and and potentially change it for Leinster and, and make them a you know an even more formidable team. Murray, just on Frawley's kick at the end there, you were there to see it. You're probably still drying out at this point. How impressive was it given the conditions? It was a moment of pure backing himself. And he did it when he immediately came onto the pitch in the, the 40th minute, just before half time. His first act is to have to kick a penalty. And while it's in a central position, that one was against the wind. And there was actually a decent wind blowing against Leinster in that first half. And he absolutely nailed it with another monster connection and and I was really impressed with the way he kind of demanded that that chance late on because you've got about a minute left there you've got to figure out what's the best way to to seal this game out they have the lead but do you want to go to touch and take the the chance with a a line out maybe turning the ball over and La Rochelle going the length there's the same risk with the the kick as well but in Frawley's mind the risk isn't there he knows he has that wind he knows he has that power and he he absolutely nailed it what almost impressed me more was what led up to that penalty. The last defensive set from Leinster was phenomenal because La Rochelle are still going for the win there. There's so many moments in that set. There's James Ryan and Jenkins smashing Will Skelton. There's Ryan Baird's line speed. There's Jimmy O'Brien taking down Jonathan Dante, who has a 20-meter run-up to him, one of the most powerful guys in world rugby, and, and Jimmy O'Brien takes him down. And then the line speed from Henshaw immediately off the, off the back of that. There was just such energy and intent from, from Leinster there, and it, it ends up with Josh van der Fleer getting his opportunity to pounce and, and win the breakdown turnover that Frawley then sends with a, with a monster kick into orbit. But it was just a brilliant way to close out the game for a team who have suffered that heartbreak against La Rochelle in those end games. And this time, though it's not a knockout victory and, and they were quick to point out that, you know, this is only a start, it's only a pool game, it felt like a really big statement for this team. I think it felt clutch for Frawley as well to, to kick that. Um, maybe the pressure was, was slightly reduced uh, as a result of you know, the, the uh, perception that it was running down the clock uh, more so than actually a kick a goal. But anyway, he kicked it. Um, they said the you know being able to get out of the defensive area with with that massive boot earlier on, um, the the attempt at the drop goal, which was which was really really close and and you know and was the right decision. And I was actually had been for the ten minutes before that, I was thinking if if Leinster you know get into the uh, La Rochelle twenty two, they should be they should be looking for that setup. They, he did it slightly fur- further out um, and didn't uh, didn't take it, but even the sort of take the responsibility to get into that position and have the cutter it just felt like a player who was was very confident and um you know and was able to deliver in, in key moments and I, i'm saying that against the background he gave away a penalty as well which for offside you know you know i i i'm not sure if it was or not but you know if if it was even within the bounds of um of possibility uh, you know not smart he dropped the ball as well so um you know while not the the perfect display that resilience to be able to come up with the key moments when they were necessary was um was admirable 
And the other thing to point out is that actually both the out-halves made a major contribution to this game. And Frawley will, as we started this pod, he's kind of stolen the narrative with that last contribution to the game and deservedly so. He showed that composure. But actually Harry Byrne had a really good 39 minutes for Leinster where he also showed his qualities. He has a lovely pass for the try, which was the decisive moment really of the game in a, in a greater sense. They scored the only try of the game. He plays a lovely ball there where he just puts a little delay on the pass. He steps back inside. He makes sure that that edge defender from La Rochelle is fully committed before he releases Jimmy O'Brien. Then he converted that try wonderfully well. It was a, a, a tough kick into that wind and he does brilliantly there. He had one, one banana kick with the outside of his right f- foot that just showed his, his skill set in that sense. It was nearly a 50-22. I know he kicked one dead after that, but I think everyone everyone involved in this game made mistakes. But I, I did actually think it was a 39-minute performance that showed why Leinster had retained faith in him. And arguably the dic- difficult thing is that now neither Byrne or Frawley have kind of fallen away. They've both actually furthered their cases here and it makes it an even more difficult decision, I think, for Leinster moving forward. It really does. Um, it does because, you know, both of them did really well. Um, slightly different games. and um, But I, I was thinking similar. I thought Harry Byrne did you know, very well in, in those opening moments. Particularly for the try, I have to say that looked a very easy try. But the delay that you pointed out there, um, Murray, the delay he, um, he put on the ball to deliver it, like under a lot of pressure was really excellent it was like you know top 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 notch and like you know like all the best play it's it's barely um perceptible it's you know it looks as if it's it's just you know something that's very easy to do it's actually very difficult to do and then because he was so good it gave, gave the players outside him um such an easy run in but that i thought that was an exceptional bit of um, fly half play yeah, and I think when your form and your future are being debated a lot in the media in the run-up to games, as has happened both Harry and Frawley in the last few weeks, and for Frawley in particular, you're not actually getting selected at 10, you're coming on for injuries both times for Ross and then for Harry in this one, you nail your chances. And then you see Gibson Park's celebrations, Murray, and he's jumping up on him, and it kind of showed what it meant to beat La Rochelle. It's not like revenge or atonement or any of those things. Oh, that's but what it is. It's deeply satisfying. It's not revenge. It's, it's, it's another little step, I think, in Leinster's heads, but a deeply satisfying win. Yeah, and it is a, it's, a, it's a measure of revenge. It's not quite fully revenge. The, the two defeats in, in finals definitely take precedence over, over that. But there was a really nice satisfaction there for Leinster. After that celebration, they did kind of try and calm themselves and, and present an image of this is just a pool win, the start of our, our campaign and our bid to get back on top. And that was the message post-game. But I think they would have flown home deeply happy because there is a... There's a hatred between these sides. They really do not like each other. It was wild to watch in person. I have to say, I I don't know if it came across that much on TV. The first 20 minutes in particular, there was a lot of people who had just gone over that edge of of control. And it was kind of lunatic stuff. Some of the way in which tacklers flew into contact with no regard for themselves or the, the person on the receiving end. I was kind of surprised that there wasn't any red cards. And it did eventually bubble over with the big big exchange of of push and shove which actually kind of strayed beyond what we usually see there you thought it was going to stop and it kept going I love it this all on both sides right because sometimes uh, I mean I, I find we're talking about French teams and you know the dark arts and all this kind of stuff but you're, uh, were Leinster equally uh, as over the top as their opponents I thought there was a nice recklessness to them as well and you kind of have to have that against a, a team like La Rochelle we saw it in the final last season particularly from James Ryan and when he went off 
Leinster kind of lost that a little bit, but he was still delivering it in the 77th, 78th minute. And I think it was from both sides. And it, it felt like it was going to bubble over and, and did in that instance where we had the two yellow cards. And even at that, you know, you're kind of tempted to go, oh, Joe McCarty, there's a yellow card for a young guy who's had to work in his discipline. But you know what? It was kind of good the way he got stuck in there. And it was a, an illustration of Leinster saying, we're not going to take any bullshit today. We're not going to back down. And he took the yellow, but I think it was kind of worth it. And after that, it, it did settle down a bit. It was a bit more controlled. He, he had no option but to do that. It was funny, the, um, the referee said, you know, that was totally uncalled for. And I thought, it's actually the only thing he could have done because his, um, you know, one of his, his teammates had been grabbed, you know, by the scruff of the neck, pulled to the ground, and your man had, you know, had dived on him. There's nothing else you can do. Like, like rugby maintains this um, sort of these set of rules that exist outside the laws of the game. And, you know, I, I don't think there's a, a coach or a fellow player that will be hauling him over the coals for that. And we're saying that's kind of that's kind of what you had to do. And and if you don't do it, there's other consequences for it later on in the game. I know that sounds silly. And and yes, you know, we, uh, Leinster were down um, to 14 men uh, for a 10 minute period. You know, a match by by La Rochelle, and you know maybe they could have had the man up. But on the greater scheme of things, and I'm not just talking about this match, but for the future, that's really necessary. Because I was kind of like, you've got no other option, mate. You had to do that. I'm sorry. And you have to eat 10 minutes for it. It's just the, the way it goes. But um, it was, there was so much going on in that scuffle. <laughs> I was thinking, it reminded me of like um, Mead Mayo. Was it Was it 96? What, what year was it? Do you remember in the final the, um, that ended up in the draw? I was, there was, it was obviously nowhere near as violent, mainly because Colin Coyle wasn't playing for Leinster. But um, there, was, there was so much action going on on all over the field. I couldn't figure out who was doing what and I and I didn't know if something actually serious had had occurred. So you know the consequences that were, were you know largely probably about right for both teams. But it did come across, you know, I was watching you you could see there was you know, I don't know, listen, hatred is always a strong word, but but um they you know they're really you know, massive rivals, you know, and, and a really unbalanced rivalry up to this point, you know, which seems you know bizarre for do you say um about a Lancer team. This this is you know, it's only really a rivalry when, when um both teams are winning and up to this point they hadn't. So from that respect in that respect it was important for Leinster to win. But do I think it it has a meaningful effect on La Rochelle. No, I don't. And do I think if La Rochelle lose next week, which, you know, maybe they should, um, do I think that has a meaningful effect on them? No, I don't. Like, it's a completely different um, game pre-Christmas, pre-knockout. And while I don't think it would be uh, positive for, for Leinster to ha- have lost um, or certainly not to lose ne- uh, this coming week. Um, for La Rochelle, I don't think it makes a blind bit of difference. And we did still see, you know, their threat and those the the weather conditions particularly. I don't think favoured them. Lots of ball on the ground, lots of push passes that generally go to hand when they're playing well in a dry track after Christmas. You could see the threat is still there. Um, so I don't think they'll be too worried, to be honest with you. It was away from home, though, in, in the rain against a gigantic, hilariously big team. And I have to say, Murray, it was quite satisfying from an Irish perspective to see the likes of Antonio and Skelton just getting chopped down. Will Connors, uh, the perfect selection for a game like this. Only his second ever Champions Cup game. He's 27. He's so good, particularly in a game like this. And I just wonder, Leinster don't win too many wars. Is that the best way Leinster could have won it? That sort of fiery mentality? Definitely, and their their plan worked really well, which is another big kind of moral victory and confidence victory. Connors was an inspired selection. It was 
early in the week they had the forecast they knew what kind of game it was likely to be narrower less ability to to play to the 15 meter channels and La Rochelle have a really good narrow game when they get momentum through you in around the, the ruck they're really good at just going on the back of that then someone will get an offload and and they'll be away for a score really quickly and, and they can play to width as well when it's not as poor conditions wise but Connors took away a lot of their momentum 30 seconds into the game he chops Antonio for the first time and you could hear it up in the stand he just connects with his legs and Antonio looked a little bit stunned Leo Cullen had a, a great line afterwards he said La Rochelle's big men didn't know where their legs had gone because Connors just repeatedly took them out and those momentum wins are really important and others fed off the back of it I thought James Ryan was was outstanding defensively he was top of the tackle count and his most important one was holding Levani Bottia up where McCarthy joins him as well hold him up over the try line early in the second half when it would have been such a key time for La Rochelle to score and and they just had those moments of, of defensive grit there was a there was a really oppressive nature to it at times. And La Rochelle did get moments where they got momentum. But on the whole, I thought Leinster managed them really well defensively. And their plan in the rain worked really well. And, and Connors again, to go back to him, he plays 49 minutes. He does a brilliant job. And then Josh van der Fleer comes into the game. Really impactful. I know he made mistakes like others. He knocked the ball on twice, I think. But he gets that game-winning game ceiling rather turnover at the end that was a really good plan that Leinster put into place and, and it worked in the circumstances I like the way they used Charlie Natai early enough in the second half what was it 56 minutes why not have a third centre on the pitch in a game like that it was really well suited and though they didn't use two of their subs the two inexperienced um, Thomas Clarkson and Ben Murphy would have made their debuts the rest of the use of the bench was was pretty good I thought and and that's good to see that proactivity from Leinster it's definitely an area of the game I feel that they haven't harnessed fully in, in the past is that use of the bench we know that the Springboks have done it really well of course Niabra is going to have an influence in that regard but it just felt like a better use of the, the depth in their squad that we've been talking about I know I know the out half one was forced on them but maybe that's even something that they can look at in the future is, is using the, the good out halves they have ac- across the, the squad so I thought it was a really good day for the, the coaching team Yeah I, I thought um, yeah I agree I thought um, Leinster uh, they both the, the both wings are sort of excellent players, but under those circumstances against that team in those conditions, I thought they looked a little lightweight. Actually, they they, they looked a, uh, as if they um, they're kind of will of the wisp type guys, as opposed to sort of you know sort of bullying through the the opposition, which you kind of maybe you need under those circumstances. So I just thought they were um, a little lightweight. So I thought that looked that was a that was a smart decision as well. Um, um, the Connors one was 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 inspired, you know, talking about a guy who, under different circumstances and with a different injury profile, would be, you know, you know, uh, could have a, any amount of caps for Ireland. You know, it's he was ahead uh, of Van der Fleer. Van der he, he was, himself says he was, Connors inspired him to move to the next level. Yeah, I, I remember that very well, and and he was the sort of he was the guy that the chips were going down on so um, kind of bizarre that he's not like a household name of course because we know him and, and you know he may in time become one but he was you know, really important for important for Leinster and um, you know, that maybe you know talk, talk about what is the sort of changes that need to be made um, to beat um, to beat La Rochelle, you know, in, in different circumstances, and, and the way he so ferociously chopped tackled. Now, listen, Van der Fleer is a great chop tackler as well, but 
you know, sort of across the board, is there a, you know, the, the, is there a world where, you know, you're getting more, you're not getting more out of both of them by, by using both of them or, you know, you go for two sevens at some point. You know, there's, there's lots of different ways you can potentially skin the cat to look to utilize the chop tackle because um, it is very effective in the rain. But, you know, I, I even remember Checo when we were slightly a sort of a underweight pack. Uh, it was one of the key things uh, that was against the sort of prevailing thought at the time. It was like the chop tackle is, is where we need to get to. And the other thing I was I was um, impressed with, with Leinster is, you know, they could have folded under um, scrum pressure. And, you know, they, La Rochelle really brought on some monsters as well. And you thought this this could be Leinster's, you know, undoing. And they didn't. Listen, the, the, the scrum got a bit sloppy, but, you know, they managed to, to hold their own. And what we've seen during the World Cup, we've seen... Um, you know, many times it's just you know historic, um, you know historic um, um, position in rugby. That if you have no scrum, you don't win. And Leinster managed to hold on there. And you know, La Rochelle set piece, particularly in the line out, I thought was you know was dis- would have been disappointing for them. But that was kind of a theme across the weekend, wasn't it? If if you got your set piece right, it just shows you know as complicated as you want to make rugby, uh, it goes a long way to ensuring your success. Yeah, well, we might move on to Munster in a little bit, but just on that, Murray actually didn't think Leinster got their scrum right. There's not a whole lot you can do when you're up against Skelton and Antonio, and it's in the wet, and body weight makes even more of an impact because you don't have the same purchase in the grass. But it was the best lineup performance, I thought, by any Irish team for a long, long time. James Ryan had a bit of a rough World Cup. He kind of got dropped. We're not sure. He had the hand injury as well. But the lineup went awfully for Ireland in the World Cup. Uh, he was calling it, as you say, he was brilliant in defence. The line-out was sensational. They also got a several uh, defensive line-outs. Baird helped him out big time there as well. But I just thought the fact that you could feel as the game went on, wow, Sheehan here looks confident. Every time it goes into touch, you feel like Leinster have a chance of nibbling one, will certainly get their own. And as much as the scrum crumbled and they gave away penalties and points to it, the line-out kind of compensated for that. And I was thinking as well, sorry to go on, but you know, you, there's a balance there and there's always a compromise with selection. La Rochelle and Raj choose these really gigantic men, heavy men, but ultimately in a line-out, that's a weakness. It's a strength in the mall and the scrum, but it's a weakness in the line-out. For sure. And the line-out, the scrum less so is in your control because if they have bigger, more powerful men, they've got a massive advantage there. The line-out, you can win with your smarts and your design and your intricacy and your detail. As we'll come on to Munster, they didn't do that. And worryingly, that's been a poor area of their game. But Leinster absolutely nailed it. Ryan ran it really well. I thought Baird was... It was maybe the best game I've seen him play as a senior professional because it was so different to all the stuff that he's usually lauded for, his unbelievable athleticism, his pace, his ability to line break. This was about his line-out work, his diligence in that area, his grit in the, in the tight. It was more like a kind of Peter O'Mahony blindside flanker performance than a Ryan Baird uh, blindside flanker performance, if that makes sense, because it was all about the dogginess of the game. That was brilliant to see. I thought Joe McCarty did step up, and I know he gave away an early penalty for offside, wasn't it? But he just added a bit of dog to to the proceedings as well. And and I thought in that sense, even though the scrum was going backwards, it was such a good day for the Leinster forwards because they would have those question marks around themselves even and disappointments around the previous battles with La Rochelle and, and that's been a bit of a team and around the, the Champions Cup it was a tough day it's scrum wise for, for Irish front fives it's definitely an area of concern we just don't have that size but if you can nail things like the line out which you, you have such control over well that just I suppose adds to the approach that you can bring or the strengths that you can bring to the mix um, 
and yeah, I think loads of those Leinster forwards had had days that they'll be proud of and will just give them that bit of impetus now for the rest of the season. Just on the scrum, I think um, Irish teams have to um, sort of reevaluate what they're doing there and um, their their strategy. Listen, whatever about the opposition scrum, you know they they can you know you've you've more chance to scrummage right. You've actually more chance to sort of to, it's much more difficult holding the scrum actually. Um, conversely, when you when you're putting the ball in in yourself because you're off balance, so um, I think there has to be a realism um, in the Irish teams to what their position is in the scrum, and it is a and again like sort of historically Leinster have used this before, and I always re- remark about the the sort of Wallabies in the 1990s when they didn't have a scrum. It was how quickly can you get the ball out of that scrum before it buckles, and I know that sounds sort of you know, try it, but it actually there's there's a strategy to put in place with that. Is a channel one ball? You know, everybody recognises that. Uh, the the eight also recognises there's no dwell time when that ball comes back to the back feed. It's it's it, you know it's not it's not trying to fight a sort of on a level playing field when you know that you're outmatched. You know, um, when it's the opposition put put in, you know, you've got more of a chance, and you know, um, it's the probably. It's it, it's hard to put a strategy in place other than you know dig the feet in and sort of do everything you can to to, to hold you know so what I'm really talking about and and we I listen uh, and Leinster scrum wasn't good at the weekend but there was occasions where they got the ball out and I think that's almost you know that's almost um, the sort of standard in that they need to be looking for against some of these like monstrous teams because it's not just good enough to say you know, we haven't got a big enough scrum, so we're going to give away penalty after penalty after penalty. O'Gara looked absolutely miserable in the wherever he was in so the stadium, good. hood up, rain coming down, face like thunder. Murray, did you get to speak to him afterwards? We did, and we weren't sure because he obviously was serving that suspension for, for one match. We weren't sure if we'd get a chance, but it, the suspension expired immediately after the game, and, and in he came for a chat. He was pretty magnanimous, and he get, he kind of said that, Listen, if La Rochelle had won it, they wouldn't have stolen a victory, but Leinster did deserve. And I think it was a fair way of of putting, uh, of contextualising the, the game. He said they've got a big challenge now to get on a plane to Cape Town, big long-haul flight to South Africa to play a Stormers side who rested all their frontliners. But even if they lose that, La Rochelle can still go through the way there's obviously so many teams going through into the round of 16 now. And, and I think they'll survive. He said, yeah, if they get another crack at Leinster then he'll be happy because they're into the knockout rounds. And I think we'd all love to see that game, wouldn't we, again, in a, in a knockout. They may not get home advantage now, and that's how important that game was. But he finished by saying that the suspension had been, like, you know, impactful on what he could do on game day in terms of being the head coach and in terms of being around his team. And he had a bit of a pop at the, the French refereeing kind of commission, and he said there's a small man syndrome there. Uh, that they're trying to keep Jeepers, the power. He's still not accepting with, uh, any responsibility, is he? Yeah, yeah. It was a. He's he definitely aggrieved with this suspension, and he didn't go into the details of it. But he certainly feels like there's a bit of injustice and maybe unfair treatment, and that reputation is preceding um, the decision here. Uh, and I don't know the particulars and the details of the the case, but certainly he was frustrated with it. Weirdly, the French journalists actually didn't ask him at all. It was the Irish media who asked him about the suspension. Maybe they're just sick of, of that that chat and asking him about that kind of stuff. But no, he didn't have a, a go with the the refereeing in this game at all, actually. And there were instances, definitely, we, we should have mentioned on the line out where James Ryan connects with an arm in the air. It's a really big moment in the game, isn't it? And there were loads of little ones like that because 
geez, what a hard game to referee with both sides. Just go straight over the limits of law all the time. They're really good at cheating, both of them. Uh, and it was a really tough one to adjudicate. But O'Gara definitely feels aggrieved with the way this latest ban came about. It was only a short one, but he definitely thinks that, you know, he's got that reputation now and they're almost out to prove a point against him. Shane, you have alluded a couple of times to Munster's shortcomings, particularly at set piece. They got, I mean, they were still 14 3 up at half time, but somehow managed to get pegged back by Bayon to, to draw at home. They looked a bit off it. Yeah, they did, surprisingly, because their route to this um, opening round, you know, generally, I think, has been very positive. Um, you know, it, it's it's not ideal situation for them, but, you know, I, I can still see them sort of, you know, it's a draw, so, you know, they've got a couple of points. But, you know, it's a home game. It's the opening game of the tournament as well. Let's kind of just get those points in the locker and have a little bit of comfort and maybe a little bit of leeway for sort of a, a dodgy performance uh, later on. And all of a sudden, it just ramps up the pressure sort of needlessly for them. And, and I think they'll be kind of wondering, you know, what went wrong there? How did it go wrong? And how are we in this situation when all indicators w- were suggesting, um, both in the lead up to this game and actually for, you know, you know, long periods of the game, particularly up to half time, that this was going to be a fairly comfortable victory. And, um, you know, it was a brilliant piece of play uh, at the end by the opposition, but um, ultimately it should have been it, sh- it shouldn't have been enough. And even the the missed drop goal at the end, you know, that was an opportunity that probably should have been taken. Yeah, Marie, it was a bad day for Munster all round. Not a great day for the coaches of the players. Maybe Tyg Byrne, Thomas Ahern at a stretch played to par. The fans didn't seem particularly into it or particularly energetic. Did everyone at Munster? underestimate Bayon or what happened here? I think we were all guilty of un- underestimating Bayon, definitely. And I would say that maybe that's filtered into Munster a little bit, this kind of small club in the Champions Cup for the first time. They didn't play all their frontliners, but you even think about that occasion and they all really are proud to play for Bayon. It's a very community, family kind of club. If anyone's ever been there or if they haven't, they should put it on their, their list of, of, of rugby trips to do. It's a phenomenal place. And they had such pride in, in playing. You could see it in their defensive performance. 224 tackles is a massive number to have to make and they showed real grit and resilience. But even taking that into account, Munster had enough chances there to to win it. And their composure just... It slipped. It's becoming a bit of a team, actually, in the in early on this season. Irish teams having a lot of entries into the 22 and not capitalising. And two moments really stand out in this game in particular. 64th minute, Calvin Nash has Ben O'Connor and Shane McCarthy outside him and doesn't pass the ball. If he passes, it looks like a certain try, realistically. And then just a minute or two minutes later, Byrne flings the ball and, and, and flies into touch. Probably the only foot he put wrong in the entire game. But just that weird lack of composure with the try line in sight when you think... You know, Munster teams generally in the past have had that ability to take their chances from from that range. The other bit that's kind of worrying is I think the line out is becoming a bit of a team for them. It seems to be kind of lacking a bit of detail and clarity or even around the, the defensive side of it as well. And again, that would have been a real strength for Munster classically and, and it's missing a bit at the moment. So there's definitely a lot of work for Roundtree and, and Andy Kiriakou, the forwards coach, to get done on that in, and it, and it needs to be fixed quite quickly because when you're not getting that platform, it's very hard for the attack they've worked so hard on to to get chances to kind of flow as well. So you're you're bang on chain in, in pointing out the the basics, and then they got a right old tough day at the scrum again, and it, it was 
it was just eye-opening the contrast between what Bayon, one of the smaller French Cubs, can do with their front row. Tavita Tatafu starts the game. He's a 21-year-old Tongan guy who's going to play for France now. It looks like he's a, a rising star. And then they bring on Luke Tangi, the Fijian prop, who has so much punch and, and scores the try, obviously. And even the 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 21-year-old loose head. And, and it was the same with Bordeaux, wasn't it, in the Connacht game? They were able to bring on this other massive front row and just continue to, to, to keep the foot on the throat in that regard. Munster don't have that. The deficiencies we worried about in their squad, even before the URC success, are, are kind of still there. That was ahead of schedule, and they're still in the process probably of, of creating a stronger squad. And when they're missing a few key players, that kind of shows up. I liked that they didn't turn to that as an excuse, and it shouldn't have been an excuse. As I said, they should have still won the game, but there's still work to be done kind of off the pitch, as well as on those things that they can directly control on the pitch. Listen, we are all identifying sort of issues with, with scrum across Irish teams, you know, so you'd be sure that all the coaches have identified those as well. So, you know, it brings into sort of, you know, uh, um, sort of focus the need, um, one, as I said, to sort of have a strategy around, I don't know, sort of, you know, break even at best at scrum time or, you know, some strategy. So it's not the the story of of every game because especially around this time of year it can be and we've seen you know I said harping back the World Cup we've seen how dominant scrum can be everything so there has to be a strategy around that but it also brings into into focus you can't have days like they've had at the lineout that just can't happen for Irish teams because it's such an important platform um for everything that they um try to do and, and how they try to work and you know where there has been a, a, i think a quite a significant jump in Munster's attacking play um you, you kind of wonder is uh, you know have they taken this sort of eye off the ball in this crucial um other area now i know that's again quite a simplistic way of thinking but um they do need to sort of you know refocus on um you know on getting that perfect because ultimately you know it is very difficult if not impossible to succeed or to succeed you know towards the end of the season if you don't have that platform right and you know you can't you know no matter almost no matter how good a team you are you can't have deficiencies in both areas of those set pieces and expect your no matter how good you are evolved or sophisticated your attack players to get you out of jail it just won't and team's performances are just a, an illustration of how they're they're training and the focus they're putting on like it how a team plays is a direct uh, result of what they're actually doing in the limited time they have on the training pitch you have to you have to pick and choose sometimes. And yeah, maybe that balance needs to, to come back a little bit. Munster kind of got a bit outmunstered by Bayon, didn't they? Even the, the crowd that they brought to Limerick, the videos of them enjoying the pubs, the celebrations in the stand, the sheer grit and passion that they showed. And I think that'll hurt Munster a little bit. And I'd be stunned if they don't produce one of their kind of classic performances on the road now against Exeter after a couple of performances this season so far that just aren't to the standard that they've aspire to. Yeah, I got to say Mary, it's a but good thing generally. that it's a good thing Sorry. that the the Lenser got their win because the rest of the performances were pretty miserable. I just I do want to touch on Ulster losing to Bath. There was also Connacht getting beaten 41-5 at home by Bordeaux Begley. So pretty rough going for both those teams. Yeah, I was really really disappointed with Connacht's second half performance in particular. It just seemed to all crumble and every single area of their game, their attack was was blunt. They didn't use their kicking game enough. They made poor decisions in that regard. Some of the defensive errors were really really foundational and basic and and just shouldn't be happening at that level. 
physically they didn't really mix it aside from from Keen Prendergrass who, who had a good game and and they were completely outmatched really Bordeaux were, were excellent in, in what they did the likes of Peno and Luku were outstanding but Connacht just made it a little too easy for them I felt and it's a bit of a kind of trend it was kind of coming that performance even though they'd had decent results at the start of the season they hadn't always been excellent in their performance and I think it's a a big psychological blow as well to get a hammering like that and now they have to go to Saracens and and you definitely do worry for them. I thought that was poor and, and it's kind of a similar story with Ulster. They got into a good position at half time and then they just, you know, they're, they're, they're in the lead away from home. You think this is brilliant to kick on but they came out and just lost discipline, seemed to lose focus, again lost the scrum battle and a good Bath team were able to take their chances and, and put them away but that's, it's a bit of a team with Ulster now, isn't it? And, and we're talking about what does your training look like if you're given performances that are at, that inconsistent in 80 minutes? Well, Ulster have actually told us that their training hasn't been of the, the required standard. And, and that worries me, I have to say. They went on a really bad run last season where they just strung defeats together. And uh, it's, it's kind of worrying now that that may be the case. Another similar patch of, of really poor form. The other sort of danger for, for uh, Dan McFarland is when, when you go into that sort of position where you're sort of criticizing training and you're calling out players um where do you go if you don't get the, the reaction or if you don't get on a on a winning sort of run you know it, it's not good and, and it's you know, again it sort of draws analogies with analogies with, with with football which generally for rugby i think is is um is a bad plan um but you know there is a it does feel like a kind of a, too much of a roll of the dice because it's the first game in Europe. It's you know it's still this side of Christmas, and it, it's it, um, play, putting it in such stark terms so publicly like that. You know it can it can have the effect of of turning things around, but if it doesn't, then then where are you left? And you know things can disintegrate pretty quickly. And I, you know I, I just think it's probably too high a risk a, um, a play this early in the season for them. And um, it didn't have the reaction they wanted. And you know they uh, you know they've they lost to a decent bad side, um, but but not not I don't think a great one. So uh, and listen, it is away from home, so they've got a, a bit of a comfort in that. Um, unlike Connacht, but. Uh, you know, if you're looking at this competition, I, I have to say I was a bit, you know, last week underwhelmed by the prospect of it, and you know, maybe a little bit cynical. But then, I get one weekend of rugby where there's you know, ex, you know, some exciting rugby. There's you know, very positive results for the competition. Actually, you know, although maybe not, not for Ireland. I think well, kind of. I know why I like European rugby again. All right, <laughs> nice one. We leave it on that positive note. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, man. Thanks, Emil. Before we go today, a word for the new power in swimming, the new international superpower. 
Little old Ireland, guys. <laughs> we are killing We're back, it. are we? Well, first ever world record, European short course championships. Daniel Whiffen from Armagh won his third gold medal of the week. 800 metres freestyle. Took three seconds. Ken, you're going to tell me, this sounds like a lot to take mm. off the world record that had stood for 15 years held by Grant Hackett, three-time Olympic champion, the Aussie. That is a lot, Owen. Mm. That is a lot. Um, it's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. How impressive? Just pretty impressive? Well, now it had broken the world record for 15 years and he's just <laughs> done it by three seconds. Explain short course versus Well, it means the pool is 25 metres long as opposed to 50 metres. Okay. So the short course world record will be quicker than the the long course, which surely is kind the, of... Surely the turning should be slower than the uh, movement through the water. But you get to push off, which... and you're Negates never, that but and also beats it. Well, you're never moving faster than when you've pushed off and are you know, um, moving through the water in a streamlined manner underneath the water. Wow. So Have you, know, you ever seen them pushing off sometimes? They can, they can poof. They're well, barely even, they're barely even having to put a stroke for about the old mm, 20 years. No, as no, well. listen, Owen, I, 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 love I, I get glide. that and I respect that. Well, I'm this just is thinking, why, you know, Phelps or whatever would, had started to do those really deep turns where he would be underwater for 15 or 20 meters. Mm. Um, even though obviously you're paying for that by not being able to breathe. You, That's a disadvantage? It's a disadvantage to not be able to breathe. Okay. But it is an advantage to be able to move faster. So if you can balance those two things without mm. losing consciousness, <laughs> you will swim faster. <laughs> so, uh, also, yeah. Irish must be amazing at the short course. What? Little tiny pools all over the place. Well, yeah, we, oh, we've got quite a few 50-meter pools now. It's not like when I was, when I was uh, in my day. You know, there wasn't one. Okay, the nation. Oh, was there not one? Is that the whole no. thing? No, Michelle no, Smith won her medals that we didn't have any. We didn't have any fifty meter pool. Yeah, maybe there was. Maybe it's the Westwood was sure. the first one in Ireland, is it? Limerick. Yeah, um, no, there were. There was all yeah, the little short course pools. Which well, they are, they're all. I mean, what's your turn like, Ken? Uh, it was it was always That's strong. True. Yeah, but you, you were a strong turner. Yeah, I was. I was good. Good at that. This was before the Phelps era. <laughs> Pre Phelps, did you go deep? Yeah, well, you couldn't, go, you couldn't go that deep because it's only three and a half feet at the at the ends in the Temple Oak pool. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you wouldn't want to drill drill yourself into the. <laughs> I think it's four feet at one end and three and a half at the other. So you know the deep bit was in the middle. Which yeah. anyway, so well, wait, so there's there's a sh- two shallow ends, but a deep middle. A in six the foot, a six foot six inch deep middle. They do it different down there, don't they? Well done to Daniel Whiffen and to the Irish team. Collected four medals in total, three of them gold. Fifteen Irish senior records were broken and a number of junior records as well. So I'm telling you, watch out, Olympic Games next year. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for listening. Look forward to you guys signing up to the World Service, perhaps, in which case we'll talk Mm. to you tomorrow. There'll be no ads if you sign up. And, of course, the Second Campus Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. What the hell is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. <laughs>